Hello there, friend, and welcome to the Cultivating Jewels podcast. This show is all about embracing the promise of abundance and cultivating what really matters in life. I'm your host, Amber Durgan, and together we will discuss what it means to be women devoting ourselves to Christ through all the various roles we play. I'm so excited you have joined me today and cannot wait to uncover the jewels that are sure to be ours. Welcome. Hello friends and welcome back to what is now the 11th episode of the Cultivating Jewels Show. In case you've missed the announcement, something fun we're doing this year is changing from a twice a month podcast to an every week podcast. So usually the schedule will be interview, solo, interview, solo. If that should change at some point, I will let you know. But I'm super excited to have this show going every week. I have said it often within the last several months. But truly, podcasting has become one of my favorite parts of my ministry. I absolutely love talking with you all and getting to know you all and getting amazing women to come on this show and share their hearts with you. I cannot wait for all 2020 has to offer. With that said, it is my hope that you were able to take a moment and listen to my interview with Brittany Pinnell last week. We talked all about intentionality and what it means to really be more purposeful or intentional about our lives. And overall, what an intentional faith looks like. That is definitely an episode you won't want to miss. Though, as I've said, I've had amazing ladies on the show. And I say that every time. You don't want to miss any of their interviews. They are all such treasures. Today, you just have me. And we are going to talk about something that does take intentionality. um, Out of Romans 12, verse 15. Which is a verse that tells us, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're going to be talking about the first part of that verse, rejoice with those who rejoice. And perhaps you're thinking, well, that's easy. Why don't we talk about something that might be a little more challenging, such as weeping with someone? Oh, friend, I'm here to tell you that as much as we might wish it to, rejoicing does not always come easy to our human selves. It's easy to rejoice for our friend. It's not so easy to rejoice for someone that we don't get along with. It's easy to rejoice when everything in our life is looking up. But what about the times when things in our life are hard? It seems like everyone around us is getting what we so desperately hope for. It can be easy to rejoice when we see something huge happening. But what about those times in our friends' lives when it's hard going? But there are those small blessings. Are we still willing to stop and rejoice for those? So I hope I've painted at least a little bit of a picture of why rejoicing might not come as naturally for us as we might hope it would. Looking back at this verse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I believe God, through Paul, is asking us to pay attention to the work of his hand, the Lord's hand, and others' lives. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about how there will be times of rejoicing and times of mourning. And no matter where someone is, we as Christians have to know how to sit with them in that, have to know how to point them to Christ in that. I believe learning to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep is a way that the Lord sanctifies us. To explain that a little better, I want to share a story that actually happened in my own life not too long ago. To preface it, my family, my husband and I, are praying to grow our family. We had a miscarriage 
back in May. And since then, any number of friends have had their babies or found out they were expecting. Which, of course, I've thanked the Lord and rejoiced with them. But ask any mama who's waiting to be expecting herself. The wait is hard. My first miscarriage in 2017 taught me that I don't control the pen in my life. God alone is writing my story, and it's not up to me to try to wrestle that pen out of his hand. And there are countless lessons and countless ways I've seen the Lord sanctify me, and that's just what I've seen through this journey. I know there are lots of ways that I have yet to see. I strongly, strongly, strongly trust God's promise in Ephesians 3.20 which tells us that God is able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think. For me, there has been such hope in that verse. So, anyhow, going back to my story now, I walked up to two friends who were chatting. Turns out they were chatting about yet another one of our friends who had become pregnant. And friends, I don't know what it was, if it was just the weight of the weight, or how one friend was explaining how excited this pregnant friend's son was about having a baby sibling. But I quite literally had to excuse myself to go cry in the bathroom. If you know much about me, I'm not a huge crier. And I don't usually share when I've cried. So to be sharing it publicly here is taking some vulnerability on my part. But I do think that the Lord so clearly orchestrated these events to bring meaning to the verse Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So as I was exiting the bathroom and going back into the room where we were meeting... One of my friends who had previously been talking with the other friend about the third friend being pregnant caught me and said, how are you? And my eyes were still very bloodshot from crying. And I tried to get away with, and oh, I'm fine. But thankfully, this friend had more wisdom than that and stopped and was like, "Um, obviously, you're not fine. What's wrong? And so through tears, I explained to her that I was excited and as thankful that I was for this friend, there is also that side where it was hard to hear that news because it seems like, again, so many people I know this last year have either had their babies or have learned they are expecting. And so again, this is just an example of how sometimes it can be hard to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. That doesn't mean if we're walking through hard things in our lives, we have a free pass to not rejoice with those who are walking through joy-filled times. It simply means we lean into our Savior more. And as Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 says, Lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways trust the Lord. In all of our ways submit to the Lord. So with that story shared, I am super excited for my friend. The wonderful, beautiful news of this specific friend is she has a son who is six and since then has been trying to have another child. It was hard for her too. She had to go through a lot of infertility. But the Lord has blessed her, so there's reason to rejoice. Today I want to go into six different things we can do when we find that rejoicing is hard. Because again, God's not giving us a pass when our life may be full of tribulation or looks different than we would have it. We still are told to rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the ways our enemy would like to come after us, would like to get in our thoughts and do his work of killing, stealing, and destroying is so often through comparison. Your life is terrible, but look at her life. Look at all what God is doing for her. Don't you wish God would do that for you? Friends, I know I can't be the only one that gets these thoughts in my head from the enemy. If he can make us doubt the Lord's work in our own life, he's all that much closer to pulling us away from Christ. So today, let's be intentional about looking at how we can rejoice for others when that's hard. 
I think the first thing we need to do is be in constant communication with Christ. There is an old adage that prayer availeth much. And friends, that's so true because it's when we're in prayer that the Lord can work with our heart to submit to his will. It is when we are in constant communication with Christ through prayer and Bible reading that we understand in the first place what God's will for us is and the importance of following it. I shared before that I have a testimony of trying to rip the pin out of God's hand and take it from me, friend. That's no way to live. God is going to write a more beautiful story, a more holy story, a more sanctified story with your life than you ever could even ask or dream of. Again, going back to Ephesians 20 and pulling Jeremiah 29, 11 into it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I think so often, even when we're not trying to, we take that verse and pull the prosperity gospel out of it. We take that verse and expect that to mean that God is going to give us everything we've ever wanted or dreamt of, that there will be no waiting, but it will just be almost like we were praying to a genie in a bottle, or we could just tell him what we wanted, and then all of a sudden it's ours. And friend, that's not the case, and it's a really good thing it's not the case. I know at least in my life there are times I can look back now and see the working of our God in my own life and know there's a reason he did what he did. There's a reason he gave me what he gave me. There's a reason why I had to wait during seasons of waiting. And friends, a lot of that knowledge was given to me through prayer. And I'm not saying we say some syrupy sweet prayer. God doesn't want that. And I can guarantee you my prayers are not at all like that. God wants our honesty. And so many different times throughout my life, I've wrestled with God in prayer. And I am of the opinion that God would rather wrestle with us in prayer so that he can, again, sanctify our hearts and get our hearts back where he would have them than for us to say some syrupy sweet prayer where inside our prayer life we're falsely accepting the will of God, but outside of it we're doing anything but. I think it's when we pray for our friends, when we pray for the people in our lives, that we start to see how God is moving in their lives. Just as we can trace the hand of God through our own life when we pray for things personally, we begin to see how God is working in our friend's life. Going back to that story that I shared at the beginning, I had spent time praying for my friend that she would become pregnant. And now I can look back and look what God has done. I can rejoice because what was once thought as impossible, God has made possible. I can rejoice with my friend who is rejoicing. I do indeed think we need to give more credit to prayer. I believe it's almost become like a last resort. Well, if I can't do anything else for you, I'll pray. But friend, let me be the first to tell you there's so much power in prayer and that it must not be safe for a last resort. The next thing we can do, which is again accomplished through Bible reading and prayer, is to study and know the character of God. It's when we know the character of God that we know his goodness. We know that even if something in our life is not happening as it might be in our friend's life, he's not holding out on us. He's not only blessing our friend. We don't fall into that comparison trap because we know, as Charles Spurgeon once said, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one which you are in, divine love would have put you there. When we know and trust God's character, we realize he's not holding out on us. So then in turn, we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing because we trust that he is omniscient and he sees our lives from the beginning to the end and he knows exactly what we're going to need in each moment of our lives. We trust our life in his hands. It can, of course, be super easy to think we know what's best to dream up these ideas in our head. Oh, it'd be so good if this would happen right now. But friends, we don't see the whole picture. 
Quad sees the entire picture and whether something looks good from our vantage point. Quad sees things we cannot, but we have to trust Quad's timing and things. We have to trust that he is all-knowing. And we get to these places of trust by knowing his character. It's when we know God's character that we can trust the promise in Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. We then know that no matter what season of life we're in, God is working good from it, so that we can rejoice for ourselves, and we can rejoice for somebody else who might be in a completely different season. We trust that no matter what the Lord is doing in anyone's life, we can rejoice. And as the verse that this episode is based on, Romans 12:15 says, there are times of rejoicing and there are times of weeping. Most obviously, we are going to use our discretion of what our friend needs in certain seasons of their life. If a parent is sick, if a child is wayward, if a job is lost, obviously we're not going to go with rejoicing and shouts of praise. We're going to weep with them. But that said, we in that situation can know God's character that no, he's not always going to have them in the fire. And we can, in months or years later down the road, rejoice to see all the work the Lord did even from that circumstance. So friends, knowing the character of God is hugely important. It comes down to being the foundation of our faith and the reason why we can trust him. It sets a correct image of God in our head. Because again, going back to John 10, 10 we're going to keep going back to that in this podcast the devil is trying to get a distorted image of the lord in our head but it's when we know god's character we know and study god's character from the bible we can recognize those lies of satan and we know the correct image of god in our head which is huge i realize i keep saying how huge it is but seriously i cannot underestimate or put too much emphasis on how important god's character is Moving on to the third thing I thought of that will help us rejoice when others rejoice, rejoice with them, to look for God's stories. So I have two very dear friends, Rebecca and Lonnie. They live across the nation from me, so we can't get together in person very often. But something I love, 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 love that we do is get on our Instagram chat thread and share how God is working in our lives. God's stories are hugely impactful both for the person that's experiencing it and to bolster the faith of somebody else. It is when we hear and see how God is working through a certain situation, how God is sanctifying our friend to be closer to him, how God is sanctifying ourselves to be closer to him, that we are more prone to rejoice because we're seeing the work of God. We're following the hand of God through our life or through our friend's life. And it also just reminds us of, look what the Lord is doing in my life. Because again, I think when we are praying for something, right now in my case for a baby, I'll be quite honest with you, I can get very tunnel visioned. I want a baby. I want a baby. I want a baby. And it can, if I'm not careful, become the focus of my prayers. And then I'm not focusing on anything the Lord is doing in my life other than, oh, I don't have a baby yet. I'm sure we've all been there, whether it's about a baby, a job, a move, a certain decision, whatever. I'm sure we can all relate to the fact that when we are so hyper-focused on praying for this one thing, we lose sight of what God is doing in our life in other areas. And it's not that we can't pray for this one thing. God wants to know everything on our hearts, but we need to work against losing track of what God is doing because he's doing so much more in our lives than we will ever realize even in our most conscious state. I um, have been encouraged by writing down my God stories. Find a journal that you can journal through what God is doing in your life. Even in those mundane, I don't happen to like that word because I don't believe anything is truly mundane, 
put in those waiting periods or those, well, God, are you really doing anything? I mean, life's not really good or bad right now. I don't really see you moving. He's still moving, and I think it's so critical that we take the time to really slow down and notice that and to thank him. Gratitude is huge, 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 huge. <laughs> Everything in this episode is huge. No, but seriously, watching for what the Lord is doing in our own lives and thanking him for the work he's doing will work against that mentality of, oh, look at all he's doing in someone else's life. Because again, the devil's going to slip into our mind with that comparison game. We don't want to be people that play that game, friends. We want to stop that in its tracks. And writing down in a journal or in sharing our God stories with other people is a way of saying, no, God is working in my life too. It might not look like I want it to right now. It might not be the answer to this prayer I've been praying, but look, God is doing things in my life. And friends, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because the last six months I have seen the Lord move in my life more than possibly I've ever been alert to him moving in my life. It's been huge and it's been beautiful and it's been awe-inspiring and it's built my faith in him so, so much. So that even though I don't have a baby in my arms right now or in my womb right now, I know I trust the character of God and I know that I can stop and rejoice with friends who are being pregnant and I can rejoice with those who have had babies in the last months because the Lord is working in their life just as much as he is working in my life. And years down the road, I'm not going to want to forget anything he has done. You're not going to want to forget these moments because how easy is it for us to forget? How easy is it for us to go through dry spells in our faith and to forget how good God is? Write those stories down, write them down, write them down, write them down. I am a huge proponent, as you can probably tell, of journaling through things. And just fast forward with me for a little bit. How amazing would it be to tell your grandchild even when she's walking through something that's hard? Look what the Lord did for me years ago. I know that he's going to provide something for you too. All the goosebumps print. Another way we can keep our mind where it needs to be and be able to rejoice with those who rejoice is to get our focus off of ourselves. We are, whether we realize it or not, whether we want to be or not, a very selfish people. Again, we can get so focused on that prayer request we have that we forget that we become wrongly consumed by it. So something I think is very important, along with all the other things, is to get busy in kingdom work. I believe the Lord has laid different passions and ways of serving the kingdom onto all of our hearts and that we need to be continually carrying out the Great Commission in those and doing kingdom work. Not so that God will answer our prayers. We don't work for acceptance. We don't work for our salvation. Our salvation is not one of works. As Ephesians 2 talks about, it is by grace alone we have been saved. But when we're serving other people, our hearts are towards that group of people or that person. We begin praying for them. We get earnestly invested in what the Lord is doing for them. We get earnestly invested in showing them if they do not know the Lord. Look at the Lord. Look how magnificent he is in trying to win them over with the gospel. And then the burden that the enemy wants to place on our hearts of, oh look, God hasn't answered your prayer, isn't a thing anymore because we're, our eyes aren't solely on ourselves. And surely I'm not saying serving someone else will take the pain away of the waiting season, but it will help. My fellow writer and friend, Naomi Quick, wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Wait, and it's all about being proactive in your journey of adopting a child and bringing them into your home. But I think that don't waste your wait phrase is so wise because how easy again is it for us to be waiting for something and get so hyper-focused on that that we are wasting our wait. Again, going back to that Spurgeon quote, if this was not the best circumstance for us to be in right now, no matter what it is, you know what it is in your own life, God wouldn't have you there. God is not just having you wait to wait. There is a purpose behind it. And we 
should not, should not, should not, should not waste our weight by just wishing away the season we're in, just wishing away that we were in a different season because God has jewels and gems for us in this season as well. And no matter how wonderful and beautiful that season you were hoping for will be, there'll be trouble in it too. It's not going to be all perfect until we reach heaven. Basically, what my message in this is, is we need to rejoice with those who rejoice to willingly submit to the ups and downs in our own life. We have to be wise enough to know that even if a friend is rejoicing right now, their life hasn't all been easy and smooth. They have had ups and downs as well. Whether their life to you looks like an Instagram highlight reel or all you're seeing is the good things or not, if they share their struggles with you or not, they have still walked through times of fire in their own life. Not one has a perfect life. Even when Jesus was here on this earth, think about the times he was tempted, the times he was exhausted. Do not allow the devil to trick you into not rejoicing for somebody else. Which brings me into putting yourself into their shoes. We're not always going to be able to do this perfectly. We're not going to know the ins and outs of someone's life as well as we know those of our own. But I do believe we can still get out of our own heads, out of our own minds, and look around our friend's life. Oh, my friend just had years-long battle trying to get pregnant. I could be super happy with her because, again, what was once thought as impossible has now been made possible. I mean, again, there are so many different ways this could look. But getting out of our mindset of, oh, everything must be going really well for them. And looking at their life and, no, they had this time of weeping. They had this season of dryness. They had this season of waiting. Yes, they are rejoicing now, but they haven't always been rejoicing. Or this blessing means so much to them because of X, Y, Z. Even if we don't understand... For instance, my best friend's husband is fixing to come home from a seven-month deployment. I've never had my husband gone for seven months, but I can rejoice with her because she hasn't had her husband in her home for seven months, y'all. That's cute. How exciting is that for her and her family, for her children? We get out of our own minds, get out of our own shoes, so to speak, and take a walk in someone else's shoes, and our eyes open, and then it's more easy to rejoice with someone. And finally, I'm going to take a moment. We talked about this a little bit. But I'm going to take a moment to talk to you about the value of weeping, which is the second part of this verse. We've talked about rejoicing. We've talked about how important rejoicing is and how important it is to share our God stories and how important it is to be cheerleaders for our friends. But I want to wrap this up with how important it is to also weep with our friends. A few months ago, I did a Cultivating Caffeinated Conversations, which is a segment I do on Instagram about how we as a church, a whole church, the universal church, not just your church or my church body, but the whole church body. I have become so good at slapping a band-aid, a Jesus band-aid, on people's hurt and trauma. How when someone's hurt in the church, our first response is just to slap a band-aid. Oh, Jesus will take care of it, which is true. Don't get me wrong. He will take care of it. But he wants us to sit with each other in our grief. Think of the story of Lazarus when he died and then Jesus later rose him from the dead, of course. But before he did that, he sat with Mary and Martha in their grief. He didn't just say, oh, stop crying. I'm going to fix it. He entered into their grief with them. He cried with them. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We are called to mourn with those who mourn, to stop the busy hustle of our life. And first of all, we have to build relationships because it's very rare that someone's just going to come to you if they don't have an established relationship with you already and say, I'm hurting him. Can you please sit with me? It's not until someone knows that they can trust you, that they're going to be able to be safe enough to open up to you and say, I need help, that someone's going to be safe enough to cry with you. And please, for the love of all things holy, do not rush them through their mourning. Do not try to slap a quote-unquote Jesus band-aid on it. We do that when we're uncomfortable. We do that when we don't know what to do, so we want to give them an answer, and we don't know the answer. 
So instead of being quiet and sitting with them in that grief with, oh, Jesus is going to fix it. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But friend, for that friend, it is a big deal. Even if we don't understand it. Even if it makes us uncomfortable. There is value in slowing our lives down long enough that we can sit with someone in their grief. Because when we're the one grieving, we're going to want those people in our lives to sit with us as well. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. That's what we must be about as Jesus people. It is my prayer that this episode has somehow encouraged you or inspired you or spoken to your heart and just the way you needed it this week. Next week, we will be returning with an interview with Lauren Bellows, all about special needs parenting, which again, as all my guests have been, is super inspirational and one that even if you are not a special needs parent yourself, you won't want to miss. So until then, have a beautiful week and I look forward to chatting again. Mm-hmm.